well first had to have those days where I have those messages and you cry the whole day <laughs> because people sing you know people can be mean and send terrible messages like I've had people tell me that I should be rotting in jail right now and I'm like I went and I cried about that but later you kind of have to realize that well and I go through a lot of therapy too and you know having a therapist helps but deciphering from the good and the bad and realizing that the good overlaps the bad a hundred times even though in that moment that bad may seem like it's overlapping testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in richland county history dr john boyle is accused of killing his wife noreen and burying her body in the basement of his new home in erie pennsylvania the 12 year old son finally took the stand as i heard a scream i heard a thud it was about this loud we the jury find the defendant guilty when i was 12 years old my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother this podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. So as many of you uh, reached out, you were curious to hear more of Tara Newell's story. So, and, and sort of the, the part two of our interview is how did Tara move past murder or move past ending John Meehan's life? And so she's going to share some very unique perspectives and what her relationship is like now with her, with his daughters and her family and what was sort of the, the re, the aftermath of all of this. So I'm pleased to welcome back to the program, Tara Newell. So Tara, it's so great to have you back on the program. Thank you for agreeing to come back and sort of share your process with us. Um, and I just met you last night, which was really cool. We did this, you did this true crime meetup that you invited me to. Yeah, thank you so much for coming to it. It was yeah. so fun and just so fun to see like-minded people. And I feel like half of us also didn't drink and we were at a bar, so it was, like a fun environment. <laughs> yeah, and the sweet potato fries were amazing. Um, did you have those? I had like one or two. They, they were, were really, good. I like them with really ketchup good. though. There wasn't ketchup there. I know, I was bombed. I asked for it, the guy didn't come back. Oh well. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so one of my, uh, several of my listeners, they listened to our last episode, which we were originally going to kind of put together with your mom. And then we decided to do a one-off episode. So this would be like our part two that you've agreed to join us on. But a lot of the listeners reached out to me. They were like, you know, Collier, we would love to hear more about, you know, because I sort of summed up what you're doing, but I was like, yeah, why don't I have Tara tell us what she's doing? And you know, the, the, the title of this program is moving past murder. And obviously you're, you're moving past something that was a horrific situation that you were put in and you had to defend yourself. And, uh, you know, you stand really strong in that and you've done a lot of really, really amazing work on yourself that you shared with me last night. And so I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that. What you'd like to, to share, how you went through all of this after John Meehan being in the hospital, you know, having cash, which you share with me, we had a nice little cry about, um, tell us, tell us how all this happened. Okay, so, well, when you first initially go through the shock of everything and 
I wanted to kind of convince everyone that I was okay and that I didn't need to be worried about and whatnot, but that wasn't the case. Um, I had meltdowns. I had panic attacks. I was grooming dogs and working with dogs beforehand. And I couldn't do this job because my dog was with me in my attack and he was barking. So that became a trigger for me. And unfortunately, I would have these meltdowns as I was trying to work and I just couldn't get it together. And then my sister and I kind of ended up getting in an altercation and it got bad and the cops were called and they came and they were just like, you guys just need to be separated. And I was just in a place where like I was triggered and she, you know, sisters and brothers, we fight and sure. My sister and I were 15 months apart in age. So it was like, she, it was a lot that we had to go through and process. So it just wasn't healthy to be all under the same roof. And so I ended up going to Texas out to Austin and I stayed with my other sister. She was amazing and to uh, take I can't talk right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. No, it's okay. Um, she take she's taken a lot of time off off of work. Um, and she had to just like clear out a room, and she was like, "Come stay here." And she really just took care of me. And I went into EMDR therapy. That really helped me. And then it just went on this healing journey. And Austin was amazing for me. I felt like I was completely healed and then I had to go back to work. So I came back to California so that I could work for my mom's silk plant company. And then I started working there. Um, I went out to a bar and this guy grabbed me by my waist just to move me um, because he wanted to play pool. And I ended up freaking out on him, not like, hitting him or anything and just started yelling at him and i was telling him that it's never okay to touch a woman and you have to have her permission and so on um and that ended up being on the daily mail (laughs) of course and then i realized that i had to go back to therapy because i just didn't work on all my triggers and i was kind of living in this cycle of um drinking and stuff but then when i came back i was trying to not go out as much and trying to navigate that whole scene because my friends that i was with beforehand they were out drinking and living in these toxic cycles and so i had to navigate having boundaries with them and i'm a people pleaser so I wanted to go out to the bars with my friends because they were like, Tara, come out, come out, come out. And it's just a thing. And, you know, early twenties, um, like 20, well, 25, 26. So not early. That's Trust me. I'm a little bit older than you. I'll I'll take that as early twenties. Okay. (laughs) So around that time, you know, it's just parties and drinking and that's like, the society norm but it's not healthy and so i really had to step out and then 
navigate my own healing, take time for myself and go on hikes, get one with nature. And then this path, well, COVID hit and that's a trauma itself. And then this whole other healing journey went through and that's when I really got into yoga and went through my teacher training and it just helped with me so much. Like I am so not reactive with things. Like if someone cuts me off, I'm like, well, some days, some days I'm like, you know, but I have to be built up from other triggers to have a reaction to something. So I went through this process and then now it kind of came to me wanting to coach other women because so many people come to me for advice and I'm on calls with them for hours and it's like I'm already coaching. Um, But I really had to get to a place where I felt like I was healed enough to take on other people's stories and energy. So got to that place and then now I've done coaching for two years now. I've done like workshops with different people with Dr. Judy Ho, um, Dr. Judith Joseph, and lots of great coaches and psychologists, psychiatrists. And now I'm just doing no more toxic dating workshops and trauma workshops. So which I need to sign up for no more toxic dating. Cause I clearly, I have to, to, to learn something from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it starts in May. So, you know, I got time. Yeah. You got time. So you said you had this, and it, you know, when I think about your situation and I was actually talking to someone about this yesterday before I went to, before I met you in person and we were discussing one of the things that this person said to me, they said, you know, it's like a veteran that comes back from war and they're triggered. They hear an explosion or they hear something and they're just, they become startled. And I was discussing, I'm, I'm working on a documentary right now and it was about a Vietnam vet. He's since passed away, but my friend went, went to wake him up in the film and he didn't wake him up properly. And he's like, I, I, and he was lamenting me. He's like, you know, I should have woken him up properly. I knew better. You got to be really gentle with him. He kind of jarred him and and his reaction, you could see for about 10 seconds, he's trying to assess the situation. Like, do I grab for, and this is, he's 40 years removed from the Vietnam war. So I think there's a lot of PTSD that comes from anything. And, and for me, I, you know, I'm eternally grateful to all our, our veterans and our combat veterans and for what they've done for this country. And I, I think that but I think that when you sign up for something like that, you are acknowledging the risks and that's not to say that's not to denigrate or anything that they've been through, but I think that they do that. Whereas when you are someone who is just assaulted out of the blue or attacked, or in your case, like he was coming to kill you, not, it wasn't like, I'm going to attack you or try to rape you, you know, as an, as often happens, unfortunately in society, this was like, he's coming, he's, he's going to kill, he's trying to kill you. I would imagine that you are in these situations in real life where that you get these triggers because you're in a normal situation, but it's not, these normal situations don't become so normal anymore is I guess what I'm really saying. Then you're under the microscope. You said, Oh, it goes into the daily mail. How do you, how do you cope with all of that and become the person that you are 
today without being jaded and things like that. Because people ask me this, right? But I've never, well, I have been attacked, but it's a different story. But how do you, you're in the public eye, this happens, how do you deal with this? And you, and how do you come and say, look, I, I am acknowledging this and owning this. I need to do more work. How do you get, how do you get there? Cause that's really um, commendable. Um, well, thank you for that. I, well, first had to have those days where I have those messages and you cry the whole day <laughs> because people send, you know, people can be mean and send terrible messages. Like I've had people tell me that I should be rotting in jail right now. And I'm like, I went and I cried about that. But later you kind of have to realize that, well, and I go through a lot of therapy too. And, you know, having a therapist helps, but deciphering from the good and the bad and realizing that the good overlaps the bad a hundred times, even though in that moment, that bad may seem like it's overlapping a hundred times, but really the good overlaps. And just staying in that mindset that, you know, that person who sent that message to, they may be ill or in a different space. So just staying on the positivity note and in that sure. space, but you know, it's sometimes you are human and you are affected. Yeah. And that's a really, you know, that's something that people come to me and they go, how are you so positive? How are you this? And I'm like, well, what is it like when you honestly break it down? What is the other choice? Yeah. That doesn't look so good. Yeah. Living your life in fear, paranoia. You know, I had, I had a friend that said something to me recently. I had, I was wearing a, I had gotten a watch fixed and I said, Oh, I got my watch back. And he goes, we well, better be careful when you wear that out. And I'm like, that is still, despite everything I've been through, that is still something I don't think about. And look, I've been attacked in, you know, by five guys in Hollywood a few years ago. I have, uh, you know, obviously also almost lost my own life by my father. Um, because I firmly believe he was, he was going to kill me in, in Florida. Um, I think that, you know, people want to proceed with caution through life and all this, but when you go through things that are so, so horrific and so extreme, I think that I almost feel like your give a shit is turned off. Um, yes. So, you know, talking about last night, there was even someone that is in the true crime space that witnessed a murder or witnessed, I didn't get her story completely, but you know, she is around murder and is living in that space. And instead of like being positive about the situation, she wanted to go confront the guy and you know, I feel it's important to also do that, but to not live in that resentment and to not live in that hate. And she was just living in that cycle of like, nothing good is going to happen. And I felt so bad for her in that moment, because when you truly believe that, then you create all these negative thoughts. And then you live in that like stuck cycle and you're in your home and you're the person that doesn't want to come out of your home from trauma. And sure. when you change your mindset and you change, you know, live in positivity, that's when you create growth from your trauma and 
moving past murder and whatnot. Yeah. And it's, and, and also, you know, I, so I did a Ted talk and I was talking about that. I feel that one of the ways to lead yourself through trauma is also being like of action or being of like, in your case, you're being of service. You're helping other people. I mean, I feel with me doing this podcast, I'm being of service, obviously exposing parts of my life that nobody gets to see and reading letters from my father, talking to great individuals like yourself and sharing these stories of hope and, and to really share the message that no matter how bad things get, there is, first of all, there's always somebody who's got it worse than you, <laughs> even though you think it's wor it's so bad that it's never going to, there's always somebody that has it worse than you. And on top of that, if you just lead with this, open heart and you because if you don't do that in my opinion you can tell me what you think about this but i think it's probably the same thing is that if you don't live your life to the fullest they win a hundred percent and you know even if john was alive today well it's hard to say because you never know when you're in that situation but i want to say that i wouldn't be living in fear from him i would be living my life and trying to do things to well probably protect me and keep safety but also like you know live out my dream if i wanted to go somewhere i'm gonna go somewhere i'm gonna visit that place i'm gonna live out what i want to do yeah i don't think you can live life looking over your shoulder that's why I wonder on the flip side for me, like I watch, like I am not into true crime, but I'm in, but I am into people who pull scams or financial crimes. And I'm going to, there's a few people I have lined up for the program that are going to come on that are going to discuss these types of things in real detail. But I feel like those types of people that like rob people of like millions of dollars or get away with these scams and do all these horrible things that destroy families and lives. Right. Because financial violence is also a very real thing with, sometimes even worse consequences than actually just killing someone because it affects the whole family. And then those people might turn to suicide because nothing I, I've lost my life savings, everything I worked for, but, but, but now my family can't afford to pay. So the, you know, it is really very, very destructive in a lot of ways, like con artists. But I feel like those people constantly are looking over their shoulders. I was talking about the Tinder swindler last night with someone. And I said, you know, I said, and supposedly this guy's going to sign a deal. They're doing a dating show, all these things. And I'm just like, and they're like, well, when you see that, don't you go, there's no justice in the world. And I said, I said, no, I don't look. I mean, yeah, it sucks. I hope that whoever he owes the money to is able to sue him and get that money and get themselves their restitution. But yeah, it's terrible. But you have to understand that when you're looking at them and saying, oh, they're living a great life. No, they're not. They live a life where they look over their shoulder every single day, if not every single hour. They're just like my friend said, oh, what if you go out and you get robbed? Well, I don't think about that. You know, am, yeah. I, am I naive? No, I'm not naive. I know that things exist. I don't leave the, you know, I wouldn't leave my bike parked out without a lock on it or something, or I wouldn't, I'm not naive or stupid, but I, but I'm also not going to just think that the world is out to get me. And I feel like a lot of people that go through extreme trauma, they go through this like, okay, there's no hope in the world. There's no, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, all is lost. So to those people, what would you say? 30 seconds. Gotta step out of that mindset. Even if it's just taking a walk every day start little and when you start little you can build on that 
there you go. Now, really fast, you were you were talking about self defense. Um, so do you do self defense as well? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a charity event where I've had people teach us self-defense. And then I went through the steps of what I did to defend myself and what was accurate in that. Um, So I'll talk about those steps, but I don't teach people how to defend themselves. What of when, when we were talking last night, very candidly, you said that you have a relationship with John's daughters. Is that correct? Yeah, I do. And how does that, so for those of the, the world, that's like, how does that work? What, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, like I love Emily and Abigail. Um, I think people's normal reaction is like, you killed their dad. They should hate you. And I think that's absurd by the way, <laughs> but I'm also someone that's, you know, that is very forgiving obviously people are going to vilify you without even you, you know, I think one of the most difficult things for me and why I got out of where I was growing up as fast as I could was I carried with it this stigma of, Oh yeah, that's Collier. He's the, he's Dr. Boyle's son, the murderer who murders that, you know, the whispers and things like that. Um, and you are still probably dealing with that because it became a television show and people know you. And, you know, when you Google you, you're everywhere, you know, you're very much owning this, which is, I think probably the most staggering and spectacular thing about you is that you've, you're embracing this. When you meet Emily and Abigail, it's like they were living in fear from their dad for so long. So we kind of just bonded on the fact that we all were living in fear from this guy. And even though it was their father and whatnot, it was just like, we were all the dirty, like the dirty John girls or what, not dirty John girls, but we were the sure. dirty girls. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. So I'm sure like nobody knows that, but this guy was even traumatizing his own family. His own daughters were traumatized by him. Oh yeah. No, they were living in fear. They couldn't, um, they had to have certain like things at school where it says, um, if you see this guy, like don't let the girls go with him and stuff. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, that's, that's wow. So you're almost in a way you sort of save them from a very, Cause they would have dealt with that their entire life probably. Yeah. Um, I, in a sense I did, I don't, I, I don't like to like say I save people and like be no, like, no, 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 of course. No, but you ended but, it. You ended yeah. the, you ended the cycle of the chaos for yeah. so many people. So uh, one of the things like I've always been upset, like obsessed with is why I got into why I made a murder in Mansfield and why I get into filmmaking in general was I was, I was obsessed with understanding the consequences of violence and the ramifications of it. But here is something that was violent, but it actually had a positive ramification because it ended so much suffering for those around him. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, part of like my belief system, you know, if it's coming to you. And if you believe that good at the end of the day over defeats evil, you know, you're going to win. And if you have those good thoughts and that good mentality, you're going to be happy. 
and you're happy. I, I think so. <laughs> well, it's a work in progress, right? For everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tara Newell, thank you so much for coming back to the program. Probably going to boggle you again, I'm sure, because I know I'm going to see you again. So yeah. um, this has been really great. And I and I want to thank you for, for really taking the time because this really impacts my listeners and they just love hearing these stories because you are much like myself, someone that I think people look up to and go, hey, if they made it, I can make it too. And I commend you for being that person. Thank you. I do too. <laughs> That's great. Uh, now, really fast, where is Dixon? Um, Dixon, come here. For those of you who don't know, Dixon is Tara's doggy. Come here. And he's adorable. Oh my goodness. Look at that, oh, sweetie. We're just eating. <laughs> oh, Dixon. Hi, buddy. Hi, we, buddy. <laughs> I cook him dog food. So he was eating some salmon and gave me a kiss. <laughs> oh, well, he loves his mama. Yeah. That's so sweet. Well, Tara, thank you so much again for being on the program. And um, thank you for bringing Dixon. He's so cute. I love him so much. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Well, um, I will talk to you soon, doll. Thank you. And um, all right. Bye. So uh, my most recent episode was with Tara Newell, who was portrayed by Julia Garner in the television series Dirty John. Her mother, Deborah Newell, was the one who dated Dirty John, John Meehan, and ended up marrying him. And all of this chaos ensued. She ultimately was the one who, after being attacked by John uh, when he was coming to kill her, uh, by the grace of God, the knife flies out of her hand and she ends up obviously ending his life after being stabbed multiple times herself. Um, And a lot of you had reached out and wanted to know with Tara's story, why, you know, how she is able to cope. And, And to be honest with you, this is some, this is a young woman who's done so much work who has done such a tremendous job on herself to really overcome because quite honestly, when someone comes to take your life and you know it, this wasn't a freak accident. This was his and he had pure intent to kill her. That's a lot to work through in your life when you're just a normal person trying to deal with life. So for Tara to step out and to work on herself and to work through being an active participant in our society and, and helping people with her story. is something that I really commend. It's a big part of what we're doing here on the program. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.